Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to another episode of Why Would You Tell Me That with me, Neil Delamere, and him, Dave Moore. It is a show, a podcast, an offering of knowledge, trivia, and absolute nonsense to the world. <laughs> it's the stories and the facts that you don't know, but maybe you should know. We are proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. Uh, please get in touch. Leave us a five-star review, if you so wish. Dave, it's your turn this week to wow me with something that you've brought to the table. What do you got, big boy? In part two, Neil. That went a bit I'm, weird when I said big boy. No, no, I really liked you, that. Yeah, I, I thought really, you were. You saw yeah. the, the smile creep across my yeah. face. Yeah. yeah. It's my one little fetish is when Neil calls me big boy. <laughs> <laughs> That's my kink. <laughs> so, Can we just say that we have tried various versions of that? I, uh, average man, um, <laughs> small human. Miniature humble sapien. Yeah, but Big Boy, apparently Big Boy is the one. Big Boy is it. That's the one yeah. that, just, that just makes me beam. Um, in part two, I'm going to tell you, Neil, about the elderly gentleman who cycled the length of Sweden twice to prove a point. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, no, honestly, this is one of the wildest stories. No, not once. No, no. He did it for an amazing reason. Yeah. Uh, to prove a point, which he proved... Uh, unbelievably well by the end and we'll get to that in part okay. two so you're going to absolutely love it but oh lovely in part one I figured we'd talk about Sweden because it's actually an incredible country right yeah so the first thing I'll say is if you are lucky enough to have a Swedish passport it's one of the best passports now what constitutes a good passport Neil unfortunately it isn't something like the design you know it doesn't it's not that it's like really cool you know, you don't like open it up like an FBI badge or do something. You know, there's nothing cool about it per se. Yeah. But it will get you into 124 countries without a visa. Okay. Which begs the question, where are we on that? Do not know. <laughs> <laughs> well, keep talking. I'm going to look up where we are. And frankly speaking, if we can get into more countries than Sweden, you're... Fact is shite. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I said it was one of the best passports. I did not okay. say it was the best. I did not go and cross-reference any other nations, although okay. I probably should have. But yeah, but uh, I just think it's a good passport. 124 countries without a visa is impressive. That is very impressive. Uh, 
I mean, they were neutral like us in the Second World War. That's right. They are a peace-loving people, apart mm-hmm. from the whole raping and pillaging during the Viking era. <laughs> that's uh, a long time and, ago now. And, and the 1600s, they got fairly crazy there as well. But yeah, that, that's still, that's a lot of countries. Okay, well, the next thing I want to talk about is I want you to name for me as many Swedish musicians as you can. I can name four. Okay. ABBA. <laughs> and then after that, no. That's okay. all I have. Ace of Ace. Oh, I should have seen this sign. <laughs> Don't laugh at me. As of October 2023, Irish passport holders can travel visa-free to 153 countries. Neil's a wreck in my facts. <laughs> Stick your Swedish passport up your hole. <laughs> okay, I can name. Okay, so Ace of Ace and, uh, and ABBA. And that's it, really. Now, I'm not great on music. I'll you're not, you're not, you're not. But surely you've heard of Swedish House Mafia, the clues in the title. <laughs> I mean, yes. <laughs> but, I mean, I didn't necessarily know if they were Swedish. Like, okay, why, should no, I, why should I believe the Swedish part uh, rather than the other two parts? Like, they're not <laughs> Mafia. And they're also not a house. <laughs> and they're not a house. So, why would you? <laughs> okay. True. True, false, false. Uh, okay. the, the Cardigans... Oh, they, yeah. You and me always and forever. That's them, isn't it? No, I don't think so. The Cardigans is Love Fool. Love me, love me, say, say that you love me. Who's you oh. and me always forever? Because it's always you. It's at the Boo Radleys or someone. Oh, I really hope it's the Cardigans. Because at that point, you're two from two. And <laughs> no, like, Google away there. You're, you're going to be disappointed in this one. This is not right. It's definitely okay. not, not the Cardigans. Okay. You oh, the... and me always. Oh, it's the, it's, it's the wanna dies. The wanna dies, yeah. But where okay. are they from? Hang on, if they're from Sweden. Hold on. They are Swedish. No, you're just lying. You're just making. No, I'm not lying. You are. You are. You are. You are. I'm not lying. I'm not lying. He's showing me his phone, but the lighting's so bad I can't possibly read it. Look it up on your own phone. Look up you and me song. It is. Oh, oh, I think I've won. Why would you tell me that? I think I've actually completed it. Jesus, they're from northern Sweden. (laughs) Well, they're not the cardigans. Stick it up, Sally, your arse. Okay, but what if I said to you, yeah, Britney, Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, Katy Perry, Taylor Swift, The Weeknd, Maroon 5, Celine Dion, Bon Jovi, Aha, Pink, Shakira, Pitbull, Ariana Grande, J-Lo, Adele, Justin Timberlake, Ed Sheeran, Lady Gaga, Coldplay, Lizzo, Louis Capaldi, and Post Malone. Yeah, if you said all of them. All of them. That would be an excellent five-a-side football <laughs> tournament. <laughs> all of them are number one because of a Swedish lad. So, Neil, this guy is my absolute hero. Okay. Before I worked in radio, all I wanted to do was be a songwriting producer. And the best songwriting producer, when I was wanting to be a song... So this would be like if you wanted to be a footballer and it was messy. If you wanted to be a footballer or whatever. What age were you around this time? I this was in this was the turn of the millennium. So I would have been in, in my mid twenties. Millennium. Because I mean <laughs> I'm not that old. You Neil. would have been composing for harpsichord mainly and the piano forte thing. Whatever <laughs> forte, I think it's called. Yeah. 
Yes, in 1998, uh, 1997 actually, it began. I'm slagging you off, but you were the finest lute composer, I believe, Port Marnock has ever had. (laughs) Anyway, I I was doing this, and the man I wanted to be then, at at that time, who's still the most important songwriter pretty much today, is a chap that no one's really heard of, which is, I guess, the whole point of this podcast, called Max Martin. The man has written 25 Billboard number ones. Listen to this now. This is the order of magnitude of songwriters in the world. Number one, most number ones ever, Paul McCartney. Right. Number two, John Lennon. Yeah. Number three, Max Martin. He's only be beaten by half of the Beatles. Yes. Gee, how much money does this guy have? There are estimates at his wealth only, and it is, it's a lot. But what's kind of also, I'm not doing down the Beatles, obviously, but this guy is writing for different voices Mm -hmm. and different styles. Like John Lennon is writing for John Lennon. We know that the Beatles obviously had an amazing kind of progression and tried all different stuff, right? But this guy is writing for Shakira and Britney. And Coldplay. And Coldplay. Yeah, he is honestly, he is the, and sorry, not only that, he's also producing the songs. Right. So production is a massive skill set. It is what takes a song from being a great song into, you know, a hit. It's such an important process. I guess it's like directing a movie, you know, a great script is there, lovely actors. It's ready to go, but it takes a director to kind of put it all together. That's a producer's job in terms of music. So not only is he writing the songs, he's also producing them, whereas George Martin, of course, produced pretty much all the Beatles stuff. So, yeah, he is the level of skill, the level of talent is just mind blowing. And he's been my hero forever. And it's really weird. I can all those artists you have just named. If I listen to their music, I'm pretty accurate. Now, not 100 percent, but I'm pretty accurate when I know which songs Max Martin has written. Like, that's how much I idolize him. If I handed you the new Britney album and told you. Three of songs. Yeah. I, I, are I'll, know. I'll know. I'll know. I'll know. I'll know, first of all, by like obvious things like melodies and obvious things like even there's a there's a mathematical structure to his lyrics and you can kind of you can you can feel a Max Martin song. But things like he will drop out the drums at the beginning of every second verse in his songs just to make it more exciting to your ears. Like these are the little tweaks, little kind of signature moves of Max Martin. And I just am obsessed with this guy. I think if I was a bit more ruthless and determined and didn't get distracted by a radio contract in 2002, I think I would have moved to Stockholm to tr- to just try and doorstep this guy and become one of his studio lackeys to try and just build a career with him in his organization. So he he writes the lyrics as well as the music Everything. and produces. So he hands he does he hand Britney Spears a fully produced song, and go. This is a hit. 
in, in some circumstances. I know uh, there's probably some much, degree of... Pretty much all of the circumstances. Okay, he will co-write with artists, absolutely. Yeah. But by and large, it's, yeah, if Max Martin's on the song, he's certainly in the early days. And think about it. There are other kind of calling cards, like song lyrics or titles that don't actually make a huge amount of sense to native English speakers, like Hit Me Baby One More Time. Like, what does that actually mean, right? What Max Martin meant was call me up on the phone. Right. But that's that's not what, like, it's hit me up is call me up. He said yeah. hit me baby one more time. It, it's not actually kind of what we would say. I want it that way, the Backstreet Boys' biggest ever song. Again, lyrically, it's kind of confusing. In fact, so confusing, the Backstreet Boys, they wrote their own lyrics to the song. They loved his melody. They loved the production of the song. They wrote their own lyrics and they played the two of them to the record company. The record company went, this one's terrible. And they were like, oh, that's our one. They were like, yeah, the one that makes no sense. I want it that way. We don't know what way it is, but whatever he says, that's the one we want. And they put it out. If you listen to the lyrics, they don't actually make an awful lot of sense. And that Backstreet Boys, um, their album, Smorgasbord, I think that's, that was probably his, was it? <laughs> yeah. Volvo 940, that was probably one of his as well, was it? A big pink hit, yeah, massive. That's anyway, yeah, he's literally one of my heroes of all time. So I just I had to mention him in an And the third Sweden. top ever. And, and possibly we'll, we'll end up number one if, if you know, if, John's not around, obviously, writing anymore. It just goes to show what, yeah. what work he did in, in the years he was alive. And Paul, of course, has just gone on and is still, even in his 80s, is still producing music. It's just phenomenal. Wow. But is Paul McCartney going to have another Billboard number one? No. Is Max Martin? Absolutely yes. You know, I would suggest beyond. Paul McCartney will have a, one more Billboard number one. Oh, you think? All right. I see, yeah. I see what you're yeah. hinting at there. Yes, yeah, possibly, yeah. possibly. Yeah. I'm going to put you to the test now, Neil. Okay. In the first episode of season five, so it's only yes. a couple of episodes ago, yes. I asked you what the number one category of video search on YouTube was. Yes. Do you remember? I remember you asking me. <laughs> um, it wasn't it. Uh, there was TikTok and TikTok. Yes, TikTok was four and two, where TikTok with a space and TikTok as one word. Three was comedy, if you remember rightly. That like, yeah, it was interesting that you would it would be what you search for. Number one, uh, was it how many passport will get you in visa free <laughs> to more than one hundred and fifty countries, Dave? No, was it, it that specific? It was what nationality is the one adult? <laughs> yeah, no, it was. Minecraft. Oh, yes. Yes, of course. So I want to talk to you about some Swedish inventions. Minecraft, Neil. Really? Yeah. A guy called Marcus Persson, who's now worth over a billion. Uh, he sold his company, uh, I think it's Mahjong Games, something like that, uh, that he built off the back of Minecraft, which was already enormous, to Microsoft for two point odd billion. And he got more about half of that. Can I just say that Marcus Person was the next one after Big Boy and Average Gent? <laughs> Marcus Person was Persson. the next pet name. Well, I definitely do not want to be known as Marcus Person because he is a man not without controversy. Um, he is a conspiracy theorist. He oh, may he has no. demonstrated transphobic, racist, homophobic thing. Oh, He's no. just yeah. But look, you can't deny he is a brilliant games developer and has gotten to this point where he has invented arguably the most important computer game of all time. Certainly the most successful computer game of all time. Uh he invented that. More more important than Solitaire? Well, as I said, successful, yes. Important. Okay. Maybe not. Okay. Maybe not. Okay. Uh you told us before about Bluetooth, King Harold and yes, all that, King... wasn't it? Yeah. The, yes. And the rune we know, the the Bluetooth symbol. Or H and B, yeah, yeah, H and B, yeah. 
Um, well, it was actually invented by in Ericsson, the company, in Lund in Sweden. So interestingly, the Bluetooth name that we actually kind of love now, we've talked about in the podcast before, was only supposed to be a placeholder until marketing in the Ericsson company came up with a better name. They did come up with better names, or so they thought. One was PAN, Personal Area Networking. Yeah. Uh, the other one was Radio Wire, and they went, we'll have these two names, one of these will do. But they searched in the patents office, yeah. and there were tens of thousands of things called PAN. Right. And they didn't have time to do the full thorough search on Radio Wire before they had to launch Bluetooth. So they went, ah, just stick with it. So, and now we have Bluetooth. Oh, I think that's, I love Bluetooth. Yeah, it's I much better kind of... than Pan or Radio Wire. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And they were, who those were Swedish? They're Swedish. Yeah. Invented Sorry, it's in... a Swedish company, Ericsson. Swedish company, and Ericsson. Yeah. 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 And, and, and invented there. Yeah. Uh, there was a Swedish lad who set the task of like to his team of going develop this kind of, you know, shortwave wireless technology. They also invented the plastic bag. A guy called Sten Gustav Thulen invented the plastic bag in the 1960s. But interestingly, you would think now he's a like he'd be, you know, hated by the Greens and anyone who's an environmentalist because obviously we know plastic bags, they don't degrade, they're bad for the environment. We're all supposed to kind of use our own and reason whatever. That was his plan all along. He never wanted plastic bags to be single use. He wanted them to replace paper bags, which were cutting down trees and doing deforestation in his area. And he knew this was a bad thing for the environment. So he said, hang on, I'm going to invent this, invent this, um, this press and this cutting machine that cuts and welds plastic into a bag shape. And we'll, we'll, re, we'll buy one plastic bag and we'll use it for a year instead of buying a paper bag every time we go to the shop. So he wanted bag for life and we just, it became so easy to use that we yeah. just kind of ignored True his initial thoughts. Exactly. Nobel Prize, you've all, you, we've done episodes on the Nobel Prize. Obviously we know Alfred Nobel was, was Swedish, but do you know some of the things he invented? I know he invented TNT. Dynamite, yes, dynamite, yeah, yeah. So specifically that because there was something called black powder, right, which is, which is an explosive that was used, you know, all the time but it was extremely unstable. And then nitroglycerin was invented and that was used. But the problem with nitroglycerin was it couldn't be transported because movement would trigger the explosion. So therefore, it couldn't be used in commercial scenarios. It was far too dangerous. So he invented a blasting cap. And the blasting cap was the bit that went on the top of the stick, which had a fuse. So you could light the fuse, run away, and the cap would explode, causing the nitroglycerin to detonate. However, that still didn't solve the problem of transport. So he combined nitroglycerin with something called, I'm getting a bit technical here, Neil, stop me when it gets too big, diatomaceous earth. Ever heard of that? I haven't. Uh, No. Okay. It's white, powdery, sedimentary rock that he found in the river Elbe. And he combined this with nitroglycerin. Boom. Stable. Transport. No problem. Well, not boom. No, exactly. You're absolutely yeah. right. Unboom. Unboom boom when you want boom. Um, and he called it Nobel's blasting powder. Wow, that sounds like what you take off uh, certain UFC fighters. But that sounds like <laughs> that sounds like what the guards got 
157 million quids worth. What's the street value of Nobel's plastic powder? Although it does also sound like something that one of my kids would come back home from the shop on a Friday with their Friday treat going, I just got a blasting powder sachet. <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah, their whole face is numb from yeah. the nose down and, and they're burping. And you're like, like father, like son. I'm so proud. <laughs> but he changed it then to the word dynamite from the ancient Greek word dynamis, meaning power. And that's where we have it today. Oh, I didn't realise he actually came up with the word as well. If we ever get Susie Dent back on, which we will, because I'm currently broadcasting from our hedge. um, (laughs) (laughs) um, We mentioned that to her. That's class. Nobel also studied alongside a guy called John Erickson, who disappointingly has got nothing to do with the Erickson that we talked about before. I was kind of hoping that he would be... He did invent uh, clients for sex workers, John. John Erickson. Not Sorry. the Erickson, but for the John. I no? did, yeah, that, that okay. went past me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Or alternatively, you've double bluffed me. You knew exactly what I was talking about. No, you thought, yeah, I, I, better not, I better not pretend I know what a person who visits a sex worker what is called. What a John is. No, not, <laughs> I completely went over my head. Um, no, John Erickson, he invented the propeller. He invented the propeller. The propeller. The thing that propels boats through the water invented by a chap called John Erickson who was mates with and studied with Alfred Nobel. Surely propellers have just kind of always existed. No. Like, when, when, before John Erickson invented it in, I don't know, was it the 1700s? When would there have been propellers, Neil? I mean... Have you ever seen a sycamore tree? Isn't that a little propeller thing? Maybe that's where you got the idea. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Carl Munters invented styrofoam and the domestic fridge. And ugly people. (laughs) Other Swedish inventions include laminate flooring, the aga cooker, tetra pack cartons, possibly, but probably not vodka. But it's possible because vodka is, there's a vodka region across the north of Europe. Is there? Yeah. So Russia, Poland and Sweden all claim to have invented vodka. Right. No one really knows. But it was certainly distilling the spirit up that neck of the woods was where it came from. From spuds. From spuds, yeah. Okay. Um, The the modern zip was also a Swedish invention. And this is one of my favourites. Yeah. Did you know that Celsius, the name given to Mr. Did you know it was a Mr.? Because I didn't. Yeah, there was a Mr. Fahrenheit as well, wasn't there? There was. These were my two things. You're ruining all my facts. You're absolutely right, but Neil Delamere knows lots of things. There was Anders Celsius, who was an 18th century astronomer, and Fahrenheit was also a dude. I did not know that. Well, let me blow your mind further. There's a guy called Mr. Kelvin. Well, I would have gathered now that you've said those two. (laughs) (laughs) You're only having a go at my fact because I have debunked two of your facts. Yeah, you're two. This is about four. You know the way? He had me at hello. You had me at... Just after the Beatles, man, that yeah. is oh, no, it's wild. quality. And look, we wild. didn't even talk about IKEA, H&M, Volvo, Spotify, Scania, Saab, Electrolux and Stenoline. They're all Swedish companies, brands, inventions. It's a hell of a country, man. And Russia is named after the Swedish Rus, who were Vikings who went down the... Um, the the so the Norwegian Vikings broadly speaking went west. Okay. Uh, so they came to Ireland. Uh, the Danes kind of went to England, and the Swedes went the other way and did lifted their boats, portage their boats over uh, the Dnieper River, all the way down there, and got all the way down to Baghdad. 
And that's why they're called, why it's called Russia. Yeah, after the Swedish Rus and the Varangian Guard were Swedish Vikings who made up the bodyguard of the emperor in Constantinople. Ah, stop. This yeah. is my episode and you're giving better facts than I ever did. Yes, listen, the facts world is is expanded by both of us. <laughs> right, well, that's enough Sweden for now because in part two, I'm going to tell you, Neil, about the old man who cycled the length of Sweden twice to prove a point and I'm going to draft in a sports journalist who's worked with the BBC and everybody else Sarah Mulcairn is going to join us to tell us all about Steel Grandpa what a name (laughs) when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at BlueNile.com you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to part two of Why Would You Tell Me That? And uh, Neil, we are going to explore the incredible man called Gustav Hukinson. And we're going to do that uh, with the benefit of Sarah Mulcairns, who is a sports journalist. Uh, She's going to tell us all about Steel Grandpa. Sarah, how are you? How are you? I'm glad you pronounced the name like that. Um, well, is that it done? I don't have to... You, you yeah, well, some vigour on the surname, didn't you? Neil will tell you that I am the linguist here and I deter- I'm determined that everything had, should at least have a go at the right pronunciation. Like, it's written down, it's Gustav Hackinson, but... I'm not happy with that. I'm not happy. I need the Hukinson. The worst bit is he's the linguist, so he knows several languages, but he also knows that I don't know other languages, so he'll just go for it, and I'm not going to correct his Swedish. That's the worst bit. Someday I'm going to research, I'm going to find out, I'm going to hack your phone, I'm going to find out who you're introducing, and then I'm going to nail you on your pronunciation. But today, Dave, is not that day, so go start no, it is. it's not. It's not. Look, let, let's, let's jump into this, because this story, to me, just absolutely blew my mind when I heard about it and I said I have to find somebody who's going to tell us about the granddad who wasn't allowed cycle 
in a bike race, but ended up having tea with the King of Sweden. I mean, if this isn't a fairy story, I don't know what is. I mean, I don't think there's anybody that when you hear this story would not get behind this character, you know, from the very <laughs> off, because there's so many things, you know, out there about him. The, the most interesting one that I've, I've seen that maybe kind of hints to his character is, mm. um, you know, because there's been a lot of kind of bits done on him, but he was a stubborn type. He got to 101 years of age. He competed in this amazing race, which I will get into sure. at the age of 66 but just to to show how determined he is there is a video that that said basically you know around his beard and the barber and basically out of stubbornness he didn't cut his beard after being to the barber and he had this like 18 inch long beard and they called him steel grandpa because of this long beard and it was just pure kind of bullheadedness and stubbornness like what got a bad beard cut or something and went i'm never going to cut that again never again you know and just grew out this beard for years and years and years (laughs) and then became you know this this character and almost caricature when he then went on to compete in this race. But, you know, he's like a lot of men. He took up cycling in middle age. Had a, a bit of an epiphany, didn't he? Oh, uh, don't. Yeah. You're, you're talking to your friend Neil Delamere sitting in front of you. This fella is wandering around in Lycra at every opportunity. <laughs> I have one cycling jersey to my name and it was given to me by Nico Roach uh, who was a professional cyclist and he went, wear that. Will I fuck wear that? I have never... <laughs> it's an Ireland trip, a proper Ireland one. I'm not wearing one. When... Listen, if, if you hit cobbles and after you finish the cobbles, it takes a good five minutes for your own breasts to stop moving. You are not in sufficient shape to wear a cycling jersey as a man. That's all I will say. That is fair. That is fair. I mean, they're insane athletes aren't they you know let's let's you know talk about it Neil you know you're doing it obviously clearly in a lot of training you know there with all the pros how many miles are you doing a day a week oh I do I do kilometers but yeah. lots of them I do roughly for every eight kilometers I do it's about, that's about five miles so I think that answers your question yeah uh, so still grandpa Dave how would you feel then about doing 1700 kilometers is that what it- basically the, the length of Sweden so you start off up on the border between in the north between Sweden and Finland in Haparanda but Dave you might correct me on that well, no, not correctly. I think what's amazing is, is the story of how he got to the start of the race is even better almost than the race itself. So, look, let's go back to the start. 1951, Neil, right? Okay. You can imagine whatever bike you have now in 2023 yep. with its streamlined arse-killing saddle yes. and its light carbon frame and its ceramic brakes or whatever it has. Bikes weren't like that in 1951. And Gustav himself did not have anything close to a racing bike that the other lads have. But it's 1951, Sarah. And what does he want to do? He basically wants to compete in this race, which is the length of Sweden. You know, it's this Sveria Loptet is what they call it. And basically from the north of Sweden all the way down to the south. Now, he lives in the south. He's from Helsingborg originally. He lives down there. He's taken up cycling later in life. There's, you know, various different reports about when he kind of took it up, but maybe around 40 or 50. But when he's decided to to cycle this, he is 66 years of age. And this is a big kind of test of endurance. It's, you know, 1,700 kilometers, 1,000 miles, whichever metric you want to use. And Neil, he's five years older than you are now at this point. Shut up! (laughs) You're... (laughs) 
<laughs> You're the old one on this. Language and age is That's what actually you true. Get. That's all I've got. That's all I've got to come to my name. <laughs> all I have, I've I've a rally impotence maker. That's my my bike. <laughs> But he doesn't. He's 66. Is that what 66. You said? 66. And like, it's a real prestigious race. So they have mm. lots of applicants, you know, that that apply for it and you have to go through testing. There's at this okay. stage, there's like a prize money of a thousand um, dollars, the euros, whatever it was. Basically, you know, a big prize check back in 1951. And he decides he wants to enter it. He had taken up cycling. He had done another couple of races around the north of Sweden. He'd went up into the Arctic Circle and everything. You know, so he had proved to himself that he could, you know, do the distance. However, he applied and the organizers were like, um, hang on, that this guy is 66 years old. This is a massive test of endurance and stamina. Only the fittest can get in. You know, they were whittling down their own applications anyway. And they basically said, nobody over the age of 40 can compete in this. So you're out, steel grandpa. So, okay, he's not allowed to enter it. Um, how many people are actually in it then? So there was about 50 in total, but I think there have been more than 100 or 150 applications. So they, they actually whittled down the amount that could enter, you know, on the morning that the race set off. This is one of my favorite things about this guy, because he's not the o- it's not as though he's the only person who's been told he can't race. Like a hundred odd people have been told, listen, you're fit, you're strong, you're healthy or whatever. You're not allowed to race this because we've chosen a better cyclist or a more qualified guy or somebody from a different region. Whatever the reasons are, he's probably the only one who's told he can't do it because he's 66. And I think that's what gets in the stubborn steel grandpa's head. And then, Sarah, tell Neil what he does. So he just doesn't take this on board and decides, well, uh, I'm just going to race it. So whatever you say, uh, that's fine, but I'm going to be there. So bearing in mind, the race starts in the north of Sweden, just on the border with Finland. He lives in the south. He had to get there in 1950. So he cycled there. Firstly, (laughs) (laughs) he cycled the race backwards at the start before anyone started. So you're like, here, young lads, I'll show you how it's done. I'm going to do the route. You know, I don't know what route he took, but basically he had to cycle to get there. So he goes from the south of Sweden to the north of Sweden, which is uphill, is obviously, (laughs) obviously as well. No, the the earth curves that way. So I think eventually it would feel like it was flattening out. Yeah, yeah, eventually. So he cycles all the way up and just turns up at the start, does he? Basically turns up at the start and obviously officially not entered. So what he decided to do is the race was off and he decided he wasn't going to go straight away, but he'd catch them on the hop. He would go 20 seconds after they all had started. (laughs) Then he'd hop on his bike, start to cross the start line. And then they obviously had all their um, their bibs, you know, with their yeah, numbers. With the numbers, yeah. So yeah. he made his own bib with a big zero on it. So he gave him the number zero for competing in the race. So you can imagine the start line of this big prestigious race and all these, you know, young books full of, you know, fitness and everything like that, getting ready to go on this arduous journey down the length of Sweden. And there's the 66-year-old. On his bike. Now, let's also talk about his bike. because Talk about the bike, Sarah, please. Even by this standards, back in 1951, where technology hadn't developed where it is now, he was still on like just an absolute kind of every person's bike back then. It was a lady's bike, a woman's bike. It had had the the, the crossbar went down. He had like a headlamp for when he was going to cycle through the nights. He had mud guards. (laughs) 
Well, just like he just didn't look at all like he belonged, which is just wonderful. Totally amazing. And he even like his beard was even covering the zero on his bib. So like his grand plan of having the zero bib wasn't even seen until the wind parted his beard because it was so long and you could eventually see it. There's so many questions I have. First of all, it sounds like he's a step away. He looks like he was ancient on that old bike. He's a step away from riding side saddle on this lady's <laughs> bike. If you saw him, if you were the last person, right, and you turned around and you saw this dude with zero, big white beard, 66 years of age, like, what would you do? I think I'd look at the other cyclists and go, can you all see that dude? <laughs> There's probably I- an opportunity for someone to go, no, but a man died doing this race many years ago and he haunts the start of every race. <laughs> Or we're so close to the North Pole, it's Santa Claus in training. Who knows? <laughs> so, so, like, is is it in stages then? Like, how, we know how long the first yeah, stage is. So, or? so technically, what what they have to do the rules because there there is now the next bit I'll get into is that like he did essentially cheat because he wasn't there firstly officially, but then what they had to do is they had to stop. So they were doing it in stages. So all the cyclists would have to stop at a point and then sleep. Because they checkpoints and yeah. all that. I, yeah. I, okay. I think I prefer the term, a modern term, cheat code. It's not like it's not specifically cheating. He just activated something that no one else thought to do, which gave him this advantage. And technically, he wasn't officially in the race. So if so you're not in the race, you can't cheat. Yes, this is true. So, so what did he do? So what he did is he came to the first checkpoint and um, he stopped it. So he was behind them at this stage because it's a race over, you know, six, seven days. So he got to the first one. He was still behind them because he was, you know, catching up and was on his older bike than the rest <laughs> of them. And he was doing the tortoise. They were the hare. Um, so he caught up and he stopped for an hour and then put the headlamp on that he had brought along with them and then was like, right, I'm off and then carried on. So he cycled through the night and for the first three days, he didn't sleep. This is cheat code, Neil, is he just didn't sleep. He's 66 years old. He's been refused entry on medical grounds and he just goes, I'm going to get on the worst bike possible with two little bags on the, what are they called? Panniers or something? Panniers, they call them. yeah. Yeah, two of them full of sandwiches and whatever else he has. And I'm just, I'm just not going to sleep. I'm going to wait until I'm ahead of him. After three days, he was five hours. So he had only had five hours sleep in three days. He was 150 kilometers ahead of them. Okay, I would I would posit that that is not cheating. <laughs> I would suggest to you, if you work harder and sleep less than your competitors, that is not cheating. Nobody went to Lance Armstrong and said, I have a performance enhancing drug for you. What is it? Don't let your body get the rest it craves. <laughs> I mean, many of those entrepreneurs on LinkedIn advocate not sleeping and getting up before the yeah, morning. He yeah, was exactly. doing it way back in the day. I get more done before 9 a.m. than anybody else does. What's wrong with you guys? What are you doing, man? I, I spend 9 to 5. I'm relaxing in my pool. Mark Wahlberg is going to listen to this. Hey, he's a pussy, man. Why, why, why isn't he getting up earlier, man? Um, <laughs> Amazing impersonation. Mark I'm, I'm, I'm here for that. I was doing Steel Grandpa. Okay. I, don't know who you, I don't know who you thought I was doing. <laughs> so he's 150 kilometers after, ahead of him after how many days? Three days. Three days. Three right. Days. So he has to stop and wait for them, does he? No, no, no. He carries on. So because they're <laughs> in the efficient race, they have to stop. 
he carries on because he's like, well, I'm fine. I can keep on cycling. I've got the endurance of, you know, a man who has lived a great life and just carries on on this journey. He was getting then a lot of attention because the race was sponsored by a newspaper. So the newspapers were, you know, writing articles about him. He was obviously gathering an awful lot of attention along the route. People were coming out and supporting him. So there was kind of this growing sense of awareness and attention on him. And then the organizers obviously could kind of see what was happening and then got concerned again that he you know, uh, is this healthy for him? <laughs> well, I, I do think, Sarah, that the public fascination from the newspapers came for for two reasons. And it's, I think society is the same the world over. 1950 Sweden, 2023 UK, Ireland, you know, 2050 America, whatever it will be. The fascination is twofold. One is, can the old guy do it? And two is, will the old guy die? Like, that's <laughs> the two things that people are gri- gripping onto in this story. It's what people listen to this podcast for, Dave. They they want to see if you will get to the end of each show, and will you win the podcast? Okay. <laughs> so does 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 like a, does a buzz build around him, and they're all checking in on him, and he's making the paper every day of the race. Then he's making the paper. More and more people are coming out to see him along the route, cheering him along. Um, organizers are obviously getting a bit antsy at like, okay, we need to check this out. So there's a couple of different reports. So there's a couple of reports that say that the police went to check on him, see was he okay. He laughed them away and kind of, you know, <laughs> cycled on. And then there's others that like actually they enforced a check when because he used to stop for an hour at these checkpoints. So he would give himself some rest. He'd give himself an hour. He'd spend <laughs> half of an hour, according to some reports, doing press conferences with his new band of journalists and fans that were following him and then the other half an hour just you know relaxing before he hopped back on the bike but they did also kind of get a couple of doctors in to give him um some medical checks and it was all fine they were like yeah no he's he's grand so he was able to kind of carry on and just kind of gathered this band of supporters and this wave of momentum as he just headed south on his you know, bike with a basket, you know, as a 66-year-old with his, you know, white beard blowing in the wind, just kind of proving his point that he could do this and he could compete. And and not only compete, because when he finished the race, Sarah, like he wasn't just 100 kilometers ahead or he wasn't just a few hours ahead. Tell Neil how far ahead he was when he finished. So he was a day ahead of people. He was 24 <laughs> hours ahead. What? So he finished after five days and five hours. Uh, These so-called elite cyclists, all these young books on their better bikes with their huge advantage of being younger and following the official routes and getting nutrition and all the bits and pieces they needed on route and all that and a good night's sleep. They finished a full 24 hours after him. Is this real? Yeah. Is this it? This is ge- this is a genuine. Pro- is do we have any documentary evidence that this isn't a cyborg? That this is Terminator, <laughs> the next Terminator film, and actually it's just Arnold Schwarzenegger went back and did this. How the hell did he do that? Like you can't. I mean, I've this. No, I don't understand. I know <laughs> it, it, it literally is. It is a does not compute until you actually because there's actually uh, photographs because of the newspaper there's photographs of him you see the bike exactly like Sarah described it the woman's bike with the low crossbar the baskets the and light does he, does he get anything for this I mean apart from oh. he, obviously he's famous now does he get any money was there well, any there, tell, for him tell Neil where Gustav is the day later when the actual race finishes because he he's too busy to be at the finish line to see who came in second where is he 
So, so a day after he had finished, when all the other elite racers were finishing, he was actually just hanging out with the King of Sweden. Um, you know. well, I suppose the King of Sweden did it as well, did he? Was he on his crossbar? He, he gave the King of Sweden a crossbar for the last, last mile and a half. And the, the Swedish chef from the Muppets was on the back of the bike. And they put the bike together themselves in an Ikea shop. This is bullshit. You're making all of this up. Sarah isn't even a real human. You've built her from AI and you've just plugged in. I've seen her on the BBC, but it's not her. How did no. he end up the king? Because he became so famous. He's and then so the king famous and so many people were supporting his journey. And regardless of him not actually efficiently winning it because he didn't get that check for a thousand whatever form of money it was uh, yeah. back then he he made more than that in the years after uh with i think he, he was he was like you know did a lot of kind of he toured around he did like folk singing and the whole lot you know he, he had many eggs and many baskets as you know uh as somebody who has railed against the ageist uh, society that he was living in. But you know what? One of my best stories or favorite bits about it was he was coming yeah. in towards the finish. And obviously there had been a lot of momentum and a lot of people were gathering and papers were there ready to kind of greet him. And he he was cycling in on his bike. And for the first time, bearing in mind how long he had cycled for on the bike that he did, about I think it was about 800 um, yards to go. He got his first flat tire. <gasps> no. And so, so there was this moment where people who were kind of with him were like, oh, and so he stopped. And so he had to walk a bit, but then he hopped back up on the bike and was able to cycle over the line. But his bike had brought him, you know, those thousand miles, 1700 kilometers all the way through. And it was just before the finish line, he got a flat tire. Yeah, but you know that if it wasn't 800 yards, if it was, say, two miles out, he would have ripped out his own lower intestine, used it as a tube, inflated the tire himself and headed over. When you said it was 800 yards from the finish, I was like, he's gone to Finland now as well. This lad is a complete lunatic. There's Finnish lads in this. My God, I love this dude. It's so brilliant. And and the the best thing as well is that, like, sir, you've already mentioned, he lived to be 101. So he, he's such an advert for activity, but he cycled all of his days, right? Yeah, yeah. And even so after this, then, like, you know, obviously was a cult hero, you know, kind of cycled a lot. He had driven a bus for his life. You know, he was living in the south of Sweden. And then he, like, he went on bigger trips. So he went to Jerusalem as well, you know. Oh, and bike. Like, yeah. Now, I don't think that was fully on the bike. I think there was some motor kind of parts of it. But, you know, he just continued on. He just, yeah, continued cycling and continued achieving. It was probably not difficult enough for him. He probably cycled to, you know, Turkey and then skateboarded, pogo sticked or segued into the Holy Land. When he got to Jerusalem, he put two crucifixes on his shoulders and then just cycled back all the way home. Said, look at me, I'm cycling Jesus. IHS meets BMX. I love this dude. <laughs> Like you, you'd imagine they threw money at him for advertising campaigns and talks and all this sort of stuff. You'd imagine he was, even in the 1950s, it was one of those, uh, he's a brand person's dream, isn't he? Can you imagine if you'd done that now? Like he, it, yeah. imagine brands the, coming up, the, you know. The TED talk, imagine the TED talk he'd give now at this point. TED talk, LinkedIn, TikTok, the whole lot. <laughs> it'd be, it'd be everywhere. Wall to wall. Yeah, he would. Your grandpa. 
his Instagram would be absolutely ginormous. His TikTok, <laughs> 6.3 million followers. He'd be making a fool of us all, that's for sure. But If you're doing like wheelies on the bike to TikTok music and <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you were the fellow who'd won the actual race, I don't think you'd mention it, would you? No, you'd not that one. mention it again. What you do during the summer? No, nothing. Didn't do anything at all. No. Wasn't humiliated by a pensioner. No, definitely didn't happen to me. No, no, no. no. <laughs> so he, that's, he has that in common with uh, Wayne Rooney then, I suppose, in some ways. Um, uh, now, Neil. <laughs> humiliated by a pensioner? Yes, Come yes. On. No, I know exactly what you're saying. Oh, what? Uh, you, you don't like me having a go at Man United uh, legend, Liv? No, I don't. No, okay. I don't. Oh, Sarah, this has been absolutely amazing. I, I've just, once, the second I heard the story, I knew it was absolutely perfect for why would you tell me that. Neil's reaction has proved that today. <laughs> he literally didn't believe it for most of the story. But Sarah, thank you so much for coming on and sharing the story of Gustav Hukinson, uh Steel Grandpa, as we know. Loved it, loved it. Thanks, Sarah. <laughs> Welcome back to part three of Why Would You Tell Me That? Neil Delamere, there you go, Steel Grandpa. He lives up to his nickname, right? Oh, he's class. Sarah told the story very, very well, as you would expect from somebody with that degree of, well, first of all, interest in the subject and vast array of broadcasting experience. Um, A stubborn Swedish man making a point (laughs) and ending up dining with the monarchy. Dave, you brought it all. Yeah, in fairness, it's just such a great tale. It had to be told and Sarah did it brilliantly right. But that's me done for this week. Hmm. What have you got for us next week? Well, I am going to tell you about the time France banned Sundays. <laughs> yes, the French. Yes. Oh my God, I love the French. Why wouldn't we? We are French. We do as we please. <laughs> I love France. I absolutely love it. Yes, there was a time to ban Sundays and I've got an expert who has a PhD in the subject oh, to explain God. it next week. Amazing. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.